0: We are at the final session of our How to Win at Marriage Workshop. Now, let me tell you about this. When God laid it in my heart to do a, a marriage workshop, almost immediately the acronym WIN popped into my head, W-I-N. And almost just as quickly, the W in the I popped into my head. The W, warfare, the I, identity, I couldn't find anything that for the end. And uh, I went through a whole list of things. Nothing was really hitting me. And so I thought, well, maybe this is not from the Lord at all. And I'll just maybe look for something. But I prayed. I said, Lord, if this is from you, you're going to have to give me the N word. Okay? (laughs) And then all all of a sudden, something popped into my head. Are you ready? The word nostalgia. When I first, that word first popped into my head, I thought, that can't be from the Lord. (laughs) I mean, what does nostalgia have to do with a workshop on marriage? And then it struck me that not only do that word fit, it fit perfectly. Let me tell you why. But first of all, let me give you the dictionary definition of nostalgia. It it, uh, says that it's a wistful or excessively sentimental yearning for some past period, a sentimental longing or wistful uh, affection for the past, typically for a period or place with happy personal associations. And how I came to realize that that word nostalgia was from the Lord was I remembered That Jesus used the idea of nostalgia when he spoke to his bride living in the city of Ephesus. So turn to Revelation chapter 2. Let me read you the first three verses out of the NLT. Revelation 2 starting with verse 1. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting now so far so good (laughs) sounds like this was the perfect church or so it seemed but remember jesus is looking into the heart in these letters he's not concerned with superficialities and the same is true with husbands and wives in marriage jesus sees what's going on in their hearts and behind the closed doors of their homes just like he did with the christians living in ephesus It reminds me of of a lot of marriages that look good from the outside, you know, couples um, that put up a good facade, and as such, their marriages appear healthy and strong. But then one day, seemingly out of nowhere, they file for divorce, leaving their friends and families dumbfounded and saying, what happened? They seem so happy. Well, I don't know all of what happened, but I know in part, I'll bet you what happened was they failed to maintain the vitality of their marriage through nostalgia. And it led to the slow erosion and death of their relationship with each other. In other words, they forgot the past and it destroyed the present. Guys, if you want to keep your marriage fresh and vibrant, you must do your best to constantly remember what brought you together in the first place. And keep working on and maintaining those things that cause you to fall in love with each other so that they never die. Now listen, God. that's why God gave Israel memorials. Like Passover in the spring, tabernacles in the fall. And even places like when they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, they set up the stones of remembrance, one for each of the 12 tribes. God gave them memorials so that they would, they would remember their past history with him and all the things he had done for them in the past, which then created thanksgiving and appreciation and even faith in their hearts towards him in the present. However, that was something Israel failed to maintain in their relationship with the Lord. They stopped observing those memorials, and their relationship with him as a result grew formal and distant. Let me speak to the ladies for just a second. So I think this is more a girl thing than a guy thing, although I don't know if there's a guy out there with a man bun. He might be really in touch with his feminine side. Maybe he will do this too. I don't know. But ladies, you remember when you were in middle school. We used to call it junior high, or maybe even in high school. Uh, You wrote the name of your boyfriend or somebody you dreamed of being your boyfriend on your notebooks, your hands, your arms, pretty much whatever canvas you could find where you could write stuff, makeshift canvas, you had access to, you wrote this guy's name. Why? Because you were kind of crazy in love with this person. Well, that was in fact how the children of Israel acted when they first fell in love with the Lord, with Yahweh. And were on their honeymoon after God brought them brought the nation out of Egypt into the wilderness and married them there by the base of Mount Sinai. The Lord makes it a point to mention it. That during their time in the wilderness how they wrote his name on the flaps of their tents and on the horse's bridles. Israel Israel's relationship with him was beautiful initially. But after a while they got used to God. They got used to God. And began to take him for granted. And as such their love for him cooled. And their passion faded. God laments this. When he talked to them through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 2. He said what happened to us? What has caused you to no longer love me as you once did? I remember those days in the wilderness when I first married you. How much you loved me. All you could do was talk about me. And I was in love with you. Well, I still love you, but I'm wondering, what did I do that you have turned away from me and gone after other gods? And have now, now you love them. And God lamented this, that their relationship with him had become very formal and distant. Guys, this cooling off of love and passion for God was not limited to Israel in the Old Testament. It is very much a reality with regard to our relationship with Jesus in New Testament times, including today. The Lord laments this very thing in his letter to the church of Ephesus. Let's read verse 4. I have this against you. All the good stuff. Got a lot of good stuff going on. But I have this one thing against you. That you have left your first love. The idea here is that Jesus is heartbroken that they no longer had that passionate love for him they once had. What some have called honeymoon love. And the same is true in many marriages. Couples begin to take each other for granted. Their love for one another begins to cool. And as such, their passion begins to fade. And in the process their relationship grows formal and distant it's always a a very sad thing to watch something as beautiful as marriage die a slow painful death and sometimes it isn't any one thing but the slow growing apart of two people who at some point even though they're still technically married and living under the same roof For all intents and purposes, they have become strangers that no longer really even know each other. This story captures captures the essence of what I'm talking about. It goes like this. Their wedding picture mocked them from the mantle, these two whose minds no longer touched each other. They lived with such a heavy barricade between them that neither battering ram nor words nor artilleries of touch could break it down. Somewhere between the oldest child's first tooth and the youngest daughter's graduation, they lost each other. Throughout the years each slowly unraveled that tangled ball of string called self, and as they tugged at stubborn knots, each hid their searching from the other. Sometimes she cried at night and begged the whispering darkness to tell her who she was. He lay beside her snoring, like a hibernating hibernating bear unaware of her winter. Once after they had made love, he wanted to tell her how afraid he was of dying, but fearing to show his naked soul, he spoke only of her beauty. She took a course in modern art, trying to find herself in color splashed upon a canvas, complaining to other women about men who are insensitive. He, well, he climbed into a tomb called The Office, wrapped his mind in a shroud of papers, and buried himself in customers. Slowly the wall between them rose, cemented by the mortar of indifference. One day, reaching out to touch each other, they found a barrier they could not penetrate. Recoiling from the coldness of the stone, each retreated from the stranger on the other side. For you see, when love dies, it is not in a moment of angry battle, nor when fiery bodies lose their heat. But it, di- it lies exhausted, expiring at the bottom of a wall it can no longer scale, end quote. Look, with regard to marriage and having passion for each other in marriage, one pastor, I think, rightly brings a little balance. He said, and I quote, A couple that has been married for a long time doesn't always have the same thrill of excitement they had when they first dated that's to be expected and it's fine if that excitement has matured into a depth of love that makes it even better than first love end quote. and of course that's the same the same is true in our relationship with jesus the same fire and passion we had for him in the beginning of our walk after 25 30 40 years is not really the same but that doesn't mean it becomes cold and formal either There still has to be the fact that we are in love with him. And this, in essence, guys, is what Jesus is doing with the church, with his church, his bride in Ephesus. He's calling her, really them, to remembrance of their past relationship with him in the hopes it will create a spark and kindle a fire in their hearts for him once again, in the present he is telling them that they were still going through the motions they hadn't divorced him they were still going through their marital motions problem was they had lost the emotion in their relationship with him their church was a well-oiled machine But God doesn't want machines cranking out emotionless service. He wants a love relationship with his people. Jesus said the greatest commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not that you serve the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Guys, many marriages have degraded to a point where they are robotic. Consisting of two people who are going through the motions where their marriage is still functioning in some ways like a well-oiled machine, but it is void of passion and meaning. And guys, let me say this. When love and appreciation for one another wanes, bitter words often take their place. Ephesians Ephesians 4, verse 29, Paul said, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. How true is that in marriage? All of this is especially important in marriage as one of the main reasons why so many marriages are crumbling. It's as someone has said, and I quote, many marriages are like the mighty oaks which line the ridges of the Rockies. They withstand winter and summer storms year after year, only to be brought down by an attack of little beetles it's a lot of marriages that have survived a long time and have withstood many storms in life only to be finally brought down by years of careless and unkind words let me say it again many marriages have survived physical sickness financial crisis and even marriage marital unfaithfulness and yet They have finally been destroyed by the proverbial death by a thousand cuts. So let's all remember what God's word says on the subject. And there's much it says in Proverbs. I'll just quote you one verse. Proverbs 12 verse 18. Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Our words are powerful. You can use them to bring healing and build people up, or you can use them to cut people to shreds and tear them down. Let's purpose in our hearts to use our tongues to honor God and build others up. Let's purpose to start in our homes with our spouses and our children. But guys, back to the church in Ephesus. Notice that Jesus doesn't say they lost their first love. He says they left it. This was a conscious act of departing on their part that didn't take place all at once. But like the slow drifting off course of a ship at sea, it happened slowly over time. In the New King James Version, Revelation 2 verse 4 reads, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. However, in Weymouth's New Testament translation of this passage, Revelation 2, verse 4 reads, Yet I have this against you, that you no longer love me as you did at first. What is first love? Well, first love is simply that passionate love for Jesus that you had for him when you first met him, when you first fell in love with him. It's the love that often characterizes the new believer. It is the I-can't-think-of-anyone-else kind of fervent love that newlyweds have for each other. In a word, it's honeymoon love. And while it's true that married love deepens and grows richer over time, it's also true that, ideally, it should never lose the passion of those honeymoon days. Not if it's being maintained properly. The word Ephesus means darling or desired one. They were still desired by the Lord, but he was no longer desired by them as at the beginning of their relationship with him. And again, this also happened with Israel. A cooling of their love for the Lord that he laments to the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 2, verse 2, when he said, I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago, how you loved me and followed me even through the barren wilderness. The church of Ephesus guys fell into the trap as their hearts cooled for the Lord. They fell into the trap of thinking that loveless service was enough to replace the loss of passion in their heart for Jesus. It's a lot of folks that do this. Their walk with Christ is not what it once was. Things have kind of cooled off. So the answer is to serve more. I'll get involved in more ministries. that'll, That'll do it. But that's not what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for more activities, more service. He's looking for you to fall in love with him again. Look, and I've used this illustration before, so if you've heard it, bear with me. It would kind of be like a wife who says to her husband, I don't love you anymore. I have no feelings for you at all, but... I'll stay married to you and clean the house and wash your clothes and cook your meals. I mean, you know, what husband would be happy with that kind of a situation? I mean, what kind of a husband would be happy with a relationship with his wife like that? Look, I didn't marry my wife so that I could have somebody to cook my meals and clean my house. I I can hire people to do those things for me. I married Cindy because I fell in love with her and she with me. And now all the acts of service she does for me, and they are many, all the acts of service she does for me are special and beautiful because I know that they're an expression of her love for me, not a replacement of her love for me. And that's what makes them so special. But if I knew she didn't really love me, and was just going through the motions, all those acts of service would be meaningless. It's obvious that Jesus feels the same way and wants more than service in our relationship with him. He wants passion. He wants fire. In a word, he wants honeymoon love. Remember this. He's holding his church in his nail-scarred hands. Think of that. He's holding his church in his nail-scarred hands, which speaks of the ultimate act of selfless love to lay your life down for the person you're in love with what kind of love are you giving to jesus in return look all christians love jesus but not but not all christians are in love with jesus and the same is true with many couples who have been married for a while they love each other but i'm afraid some of them are no longer in love with each other and while loving each other and staying together is better than not loving each other and getting a divorce it's an inferior relationship to being in love with your spouse again i love my sister i'm in love with my wife and there's no comparison in the depth of relationship okay you're saying to yourself you got me you made your point is there any way to fix our marriage yes In Jesus' letter to the church of Ephesus, he goes on to tell them what they needed to do to get back to first love or honeymoon love in their relationship with him. And guys, we can adapt Jesus' words, Jesus' instructions, and apply them to our marriages. So, beginning of verse 5, Revelation 2. He says to them, Remember, therefore, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do your first works. Jesus is telling us that first love can be restored. If you follow the three instructions he gave. First of all, you must remember. This is where the nostalgia comes in. You must remember. And I checked the Greek because I had a hunch. And sure enough, it was a um, active imper- or present imperative. Imperative is a command. Present means an ongoing thing. So Jesus is saying, remember a command and keep on remembering. Therefore, from where you have fallen. Guys, you must remember the love you used to have for for one another and what brought you together in the first place. Remember why you fell in love with each other in those early days of your relationship and pray that God would work with God All things are possible, right? Pray that God would work in your hearts and cultivate a desire to regain that close relationship with each other once again. Do you understand how that the devil wants to separate us from our history? Do you know that Marxism purposely targets the history of a nation? Because you have to separate people you want to re-educate in Marxist ideology, you've got to separate them from their heritage. That's why all these BLM and Antifa maniacs were tearing down statues. Were all the men that had their statues somewhere, a place of importance, were they all perfect? Absolutely not. But they were all part of our history. You see, you have to get rid of a person's history, a nation's history, before you can re educate them and turn them into a Marxist utopia nation. On a very small scale, that's exactly what he tries to do in our marriages. He doesn't want you remembering why you fell in love with Jesus or with your spouse. He wants to separate you from your roots, your heritage, the, the beginning of your relationship with your spouse, because he wants to re-educate you. He doesn't want you to remember. He wants to indoctrinate you that this is the new normal. This is how things are. Your marriage is lousy. Uh, marriage is a bondage. It's uh, legalized slavery. Kids, that that's a horrible thing to burden yourself with. He wants to get you thinking in a new way. And this is... This, this is the thing we have to understand. That's why when the Lord really spoke to me about this word nostalgia, and I really started thinking about it, I thought, you know, this is exactly what we need to do as Christians in marriage. you got to remember the love we had for each other in the beginning of our relationship. What drew us to each other? I like to tell couples sometimes that are at a point when they're so filled with anger toward each other, I like to say to them, well, you guys hate each other. How is it that, at one time you loved each other enough to get married, that you so hate your, your, each other today? What has happened? And try to get them to go back a little bit. That's what Jesus is doing with telling them, "Look, you got to remember how we were in the beginning, just like you got to do with your marriage." Secondly, you must repent. Now, the word repent simply means to turn around. And start going in the opposite direction. Guys, I I don't know where any of you are coming from in your private lives. But you need to forsake anything that's competing for the love that your spouse deserves. I mean, it might be something like a job or a career or a business. It could be a person. Maybe at work you've been engaging in some flirtatious activity with another person. You've been fantasizing about being with them. you got to knock that off. you got to stop it. you got to repent now. And God forbid you're actually involved with somebody else. You've got to stop that right now. Repent. And if there is an active affair going on, you need to sit down with your spouse and confess it. Your marriage will never get on track. It'll never be healed without full honesty. But I think in general, you got to admit your marriage is in a bad place. It's not right. Some people don't want to deal with anything uncomfortable. Or marriage is fine. Yeah, you know, wife comes to I know somebody very well. The wife came to him after years with a marriage struggling and really felt like the lord wanted to her to confront him so they get some help so began to pour her heart out oh our marriage is fine yeah it's it's fine you're imagining things your marriage is never going to be fine if you don't acknowledge the problems if you don't take a good hard look and say look we have grown apart and there's some things that we need to start doing you know but You need to repent. Start moving back toward each other. Turn around. That's what the idea is. You're moving away from each other. Stop. Remember. Repent. Turn around and start moving back toward each other. And Number three, Jesus said you must do your first works. Or in other words, you must repeat. Repeat the things you used to do with and for each other when you first fell in love. You're thinking to yourself, but what, what, what does that really look like? Well, let's talk about Jesus, because he's the one bringing this up. He's the one telling the Christians in Ephesus, here's what you need to do to fall back in love with me. He says, repent. Excuse me. Remember, repent, and do your first works. So, you know, we should ask ourselves, well, what were the things you were doing when you first fell in love with jesus i was going to church on a regular basis go again i was getting up early for morning devotions get up again i sang praise to the lord everywhere even as i drove down the street sing again do what you used to do when you were in love with jesus now Apply that logic to your marriage. What were the things you both did with each other when you, your relationship was new and vibrant? Look, I'm going to tell you this, and I, I know that no fear of contradiction. You spend time with each other, right? I mean, when you were dating or courting, every waking moment that you had free, you wanted to be with each other. And if you couldn't be with each other, you would talk on the phone for hours. A lot of women have said, I don't know what happened to this guy. We used to talk for hours before we got married. Now I can't get him to say a word. Look, I tell people, and I take that advice to my own heart you're never going to fall in love with Jesus if you don't spend time with him. So Cindy said, You have to be in the word and in prayer. There's just no. You're not going to fall in love with somebody you don't really know. And how are you going to get to know them if you don't spend time with them? Well, I go to church. I'm sure that makes the Lord feel very good. You give them an hour out of 168 a week. That's not enough. It's not enough. I know you spend time together. I know you went out on dates. Why do you start date night again once a week? Oh, do you realize how much that is gonna cost? Getting a babysitter? I think babysitters are cheaper than divorce attorneys. I could be wrong. But come on. We don't even want to make that comparison. Nothing is more valuable than your walk with God and the one you're married to. Nothing. Because you're one with them. You're one with the Lord. You're one with your spouse. What affects them affects you. You're, God has glued you together. So guys, look. Three things. Remember. Repent. And repeat. Do your first works. Those three Things are the key to restoring your relationship with you. I'm not saying it's gonna be a quick fix. I mean, you know, might be good to take some paper, both of you, and write down some of the things you used to do. Remember how your relationship got started and how it progressed and how much you fell in love with each other. Write some things down. And then repent. Of the things, right? Make a list. What is coming between me and my spouse? Make a list. Ask God for the grace to turn away from some of this. Some of it's unnecessary. You got to work. You got to, you know, I understand that, but there's a lot of things that are unnecessary that are coming between you and your spouse. And after you identify how it used to be and you start moving over, Back toward each other, start re- repeating what you used to do when you first fell in love. Guys, it's not too late to rekindle that honeymoon love. Again, not a quick fix, it'll take some time. But with God's grace and power, it's doable. God, you know this God is on your side when it comes to making your marriages all He wants them to be. We don't have to guess. We're not saying, Lord, please, if it's your will, could you make my marriage? No. We know it's God's will that your marriage prosper and be blessed and flourish. Because it glorifies God. But you have to take these things seriously. Remember we started this workshop? We can give you tools, but we can't do the work for you. And you have to want to do the work. And if you cry to God for his grace and strength, he'll give you the grace to do the work. He works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You might not have the, the, the passion at all. Your heart might be as cold as ice right now. Maybe towards the Lord, too. And we go through valleys, right? There have been times in my walk, my, uh, my walk where my relationship with the Lord seemed so cold and lifeless it scared me. Lord, am I I really saved? Because I feel so dead inside. I don't know what this, it's scaring me. But I just cried out with all my heart, Lord, I need revival. I need Spurgeon, who was quoted today. Went through fits of depression. And He would sometimes tell his precious wife, I need to get alone. I need a fresh touch from God. My heart needs to be revived. That's honest. You, you say that to God. Lord, my heart is right now so cold towards you. It scares me, but I do love you and I want to have passion back in my heart for you. And you can say that with one another, to each other in marriage. Look, I love you. I don't want to get divorced. But we don't have that passion. We, we, we love each other, but are we really in love with each other? And if you say, honestly, I don't think we are right now, go to God. Pour your hearts out to him. He will give you the grace to start turning the winter into spring and then (laughs) into summer. Because he has a way of working miracles in our lives. So remember how to win how to win in marriage W warfare. Fight like crazy on your knees because the devil is attacking your marriage. Can't blame him for our divorces, but we must know what he's up to. That we don't just give into it. Warfare and identity. You got to be the person God's called you to be. Forget what the world wants. The world is full of people that don't know up from down, right from wrong. And they're going to tell you because they got a few letters after their name. They're going to tell you how to live. Pity them. But don't listen to them. Pray for yeah. them. Know who God has made you to be. And do that. Uh, live that way with all your heart. Because you can never be anything better than what God has created you to be. Husband, wife. Some of these poor trends. Um, gender people. A lot of them young, younger. So confused. And if I talk to one, I'm going to say to them. You are not a mistake. You are not a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. He made you a man or he made you a woman. You're confused. The culture is telling you That if you're unhappy, it's because you need to change your gender. That's ridiculous. That's impossible. It can be a man wearing a woman's dress or a woman wearing a man's clothes. You're still a woman or a man. But that's a different subject. And then nostalgia. Remember how it once was. What caused you to fall in love with each other? What did you do in those early days? Get back there. Begin to cultivate those first things so that they will then work in your heart creating a fire for the present. May God give us grace. We are under attack and we need his strength and grace to live our Christian lives in general and our marriages in particular. May God give us the grace to do that. Father, we thank you, Lord, for loving us is undeserving and unlovable as we often are. In fact, we're undeserving all the time. But Lord, we thank you that you loved us first. And you reached out to us. And you proposed marriage to us. And we accepted by receiving Christ as our bridegroom. And now our physical marriage has become a little microcosm of that ultimate relationship. And Lord, you want our marriages to prosper to flourish because it brings glory to you to see people on the earth who understand marriage who are living marriages that rise above the curse and the world can't understand that how can you be happy because i know jesus and he's given me the grace to be the man or the wife the woman he's called me to be and we are so happy because we're walking in his word his truth so, Lord, give grace that our marriages would be all that you want them to be. We thank you for this time. We ask you to bless it now or to go forward, bless it going forward. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.